Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Karp. I'm a Crystal Palace supporter and occasionally write for the Eagles Beak fan site. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Sam double underscore Karp. Ooh, the Eagles speak. Good times. <laughs> Used to write there myself. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, obviously, it's a, another week of Premier League action come and gone. Another Arsenal win as they kind of step towards uh, a potential title. But we talk about that every week. So uh, to, to forego that, at least initially, we've reached the midpoint of the season. It feels insane that it's, you know, late January when that's happening. But all teams have now finally played 19 games or more uh, so I just kind of wanted to refresh what some of our takes were at the beginning of the season uh, which teams do you think are most likely to win the title finish in the Champions League places European places and, and, and end up potentially relegated um yeah it's a difficult one but I, I think at the moment you'd have to say Arsenal are the favorites to win the title the five points clear um, they've got a game in hand they're playing very well um, difficult to see anybody finish above them. Of course, we know Man City can turn these sort of points around. Um, they did it before with Liverpool. Um, they don't look completely at their best, but um, yeah, I feel like City are probably going to improve. Whereas Arsenal, you feel like they're at their peak right now. Like if they could, they could, they can maybe maintain their peak, but I can't see it getting much better than it is. Um, yeah, it's so the games against those between those two clubs are going to be so important because. Arsenal could, could realistically lose those two games and still win the title. It'd still be in their own hands at that point because of the game in hand. But um, yeah, I feel like if if Man City do come out and maybe get, if they win the first one, um, it could really sort of send 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 um, some bad vibes to Arsenal. It could could get them to start doubting themselves. Um, could um, yeah, could sort of play on their confidence. We saw how they sort of struggled to keep hold of top four last season. Um, you'd hope that they'd have learned from that, but yeah, it, it's difficult. I'd probably say at the moment I'm, I'm probably 60% in favour of Arsenal winning it and 40% in favour of City, but um, it does sort of seem to grow in favour of Arsenal with each passing week. Uh, top four, I'd probably say it's going to stay as it is. Um, I think Liverpool and Chelsea just both looked way off it at the weekend. They've looked way off it for weeks. Like I saw Liverpool fans trying to talk up their performance uh, and winning the FA Cup against Wolves, but they were they were the work they were they were not as good as Wolves on that night. So I, I you know they won the game, but I feel like it was a sort of result bias in, in them thinking they turned a corner because the performance wasn't great at all. Uh, Took a wonder goal to win that game. Both of them didn't look confident at all at the weekend. Nil nil just seemed like a a, a result that re- wrote itself. 
Um, Tottenham, obviously, we're going to come on to them a bit later, but they just, they've got a lot of issues. I can't see them sort of going on a run. They seem to have one good result and then two bad results, a good result. It, it just doesn't seem like all's well there. Um, but I don't want to go too much into that right now. Uh, and the top four, uh, obviously, Arsenal and City are going to finish in the top four. Things are remarkable. Newcastle and Manchester United possibly might drop out, but Manchester United just look look good at the moment. Um, and I think if if Newcastle were any other club in their position with their points total and their performances, there wouldn't even be a debate about them finishing the top four. Mm. It's purely because it's purely because it's Newcastle. You're not used to seeing them up there. It's very new. There's a lot of inexperienced players. It feels like they're in a somewhat of a false position. But if you look at all the underlying metrics, that they're where they deserve to be. Uh, they've scored more goals than Manchester United. They've conceded fewer. And, and like Magic, Magic United are the ones that people expect to go and finish in there easily, but there's nothing. If you look at the scenes of both teams, it, it sh- you should really have the opinion about Newcastle. Um, recently, it's gone a little bit stale. Um, teams seem to be getting more wise to playing against us. Um, but even in these games, like we drew 0-0 to Leeds. We had the chances to win it. The game yesterday was a tight game, but if there was a team that was going to win it, it was, it was Newcastle, not Palace. Um, so yeah, it feels like there's growing pains as we transition from a team that teams used to attack and now teams give us respect. But with the points gap we've got, um, we've also played we've played um, Arsenal away from home. We've played Manchester United away from home. We've played Tottenham away from home. We've played Liverpool away from home. You know, we've played a lot of the big teams away from home already. Um, haven't lost at St James Park this season. Um, yeah, I think I think we'll have enough about us to to finish in the top four. Um, I have doubts just because it's Newcastle. And I just want to be naturally pessimistic, but I just think I just don't think either Tottenham, uh, Chelsea, or Liverpool will put a run together to to overtake us. Um, could maybe see a Brighton. Brighton seem to be picking up, um, but they seem to go on these runs every season where they have five or six really good results, and then they have a two or three poor ones. Um, and I, I don't see that changing under De Zerbe, especially as they transition from a lot of these players like Matoma. Um, Ferguson March playing so well now but are they going to maintain it over a longer stretch Brighton players historically haven't um, so I, I, I have doubts there uh, and the result against Leicester just, just sort of felt like one of those days um, so yeah I'd probably say the top four against Stairs is um, if there was a team that was going to break into it I'd say Liverpool just because of what they've done historically but you just can't see them putting that run together at the moment. Their midfield is just so poor. Um, they don't seem to have a settled team. Van Dijk was getting criticism before his injury. Trent's now out of the team. Salah, this looks a shadow of the player he was. It, it would take some turnaround for them to get into it. And, we, and, and when the European football comes back as well, a lot of those teams that we're talking about have European football. Newcastle haven't. Um, also out of the FA Cup, it just feels like Newcastle. It just feels like it's all, all in Newcastle's favour to finish there. But... Um, and I would say I'm being biased, but I'm normally very pessimistic, so I don't even think I am. Um, relegation, relegation is tough. I feel like Everton are going to go this year. Um, we're going to speak a little bit more about them later as well, so I won't go too into that. I think Bournemouth too. I just don't think they've got the quality. They might bring in a few now they've got the new new owners, but even so, I just don't see them doing it. Um, and yeah, Forest have, have turned it around a bit. Palace have got a, a really Awful run of games coming up, but we've seen they've they've played two of the top four and drawn against them both. Could easily have nicked three points against either of those teams, really, um, on another day. So yeah, they should be fine. Um, Wolves and has got a new manager. They seem to be a little bit better. West Ham have got um, 
West Ham are in a bit of a false position. I think even their performances haven't been as bad as being as where they are in the table. Um, I don't think Moyes is going to last too much longer, but I don't think they've got too much quality in that squad. So I'll go Southampton. Um, they have been a little bit better under Jones in recent weeks, but I still haven't been totally convinced by them. Um, it feels like they pull out their big performances um, against some of the better teams and then they just go on these really bad runs. So, yeah, I've, I've sort of long-winded to talk about this whole league, but I'll go Arsenal to win the league just at the moment. I'm going to say top four stairs it is, and I'm going to say Southampton, Everton and Bournemouth. So pretty much I've just said what the table is right now. So after all that. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I'm not even sure I can depart too drastically from those predictions, to be honest. I think... Um... Yeah, there was there was a point last week, wasn't there, when uh, people were trying to put United, uh, Manchester United in the in the conversation for the title race after their result against City. Um, but I think the result, their two results this week, have kind of put paid to that idea, and it's pretty clear that it's going to be a two horse race between Arsenal and City. Um, I'd sort of the only thing that I would maybe disagree with Jake on is you know the whole. I know they kind of. Uh, Sort of not necessarily bottled last, finishing in the top four last season, but we're a lot more seems a lot more vulnerable to that kind of thing. They just they just seem to have a lot more character this this year, and it's kind of been a a feature of this season in that everyone's kind of been waiting for Arsenal to slip up, saying they won't be able to keep up their form from the start of the season, and they're sort of just proving everyone everyone wrong and overcoming every challenge that's thrown their way. And I, I suppose today was sort of another example of that, really. You know where they've they've gone behind early in the game turned it around then been pegged back by a bit of a soft equaliser but you know still managed to fi- still managed to find a way to win it late on um you know that's the kind of thing that champions do that's that's the kind of thing that city have been doing to teams in the last few years you know just finding a way to win um even in those big games as well um but yeah i mean that the only problem for them is that they're doing this in the era of pep guardiola's manchester city um you know, Arsenal have only dropped seven points all season and such is the standard now that even that isn't enough for you to run away with the league. You know, I think if it were if it was City who were five points clear with a game in hand at the moment, we'd probably all be saying that it was the title race over. Um, but because they're the one sort of in pursuit, you get a sense that there are still a couple of gears for City to go through. Um, Guardiola's interview after the Spurs game the other night kind of gave you that impression as well that he thinks they're kind of they're still not quite at the level that they should be at the moment so as as Jake said like it 100% could just come down to those two league fixtures which are still to come I think one of them in February and then the other one hasn't been rescheduled yet but um, yeah those two games are going to be crucial in determining the destination of the title because both of them look kind of far and above the rest of the league at the moment and you know go into every other fixture that they play as favourites. Um, but I do, going back to what I said at the start, I just think that Arsenal kind of have a little bit more metal about them this this year. They've got players like Zinchenko in, Jack has really stepped up, Saka as well. Um, they just look like a much more of a robust unit. And I think in the same way that Jake does, I just think they're going to just about get over the line. And it would actually be despite the fact that I don't necessarily like Arsenal that much, it would actually be quite nice to see someone else win it that isn't City. So I think I'll stick with them. And then, yeah, in the rest of that top four, obviously City and Arsenal will be two of those places. Um, I agree with Jake that um, I think United are going to eventually sort of cement, I know they've had those tough results this week, but I think they're eventually going to cement themselves in third. Um, They seem to have really kind of 
got got something going under Ten Hag. I mean, watching them live at Selhurst Park the other day, they just got, it was the first time that I've seen a United team turn up in quite a few years with like a plan and patterns of play and they really were very slick in the first half against us. Um, I know we ultimately got a point in the end, but I think, you know, it was just, they just look like a team that's on the right trajectory at the moment. I think that'll kind of see them pull away a little bit in third. Um, and, like, and like Jake was saying, I think for the rest of that top four, Chelsea and Liverpool looked really poor yesterday um, and they're at risk of being cut adrift really. Like not even, I, I don't know, I feel like they're almost, I think they're about 10 points off top four at the moment. So you know, they're going to have to start putting together a run soon if they want any real aspirations. I know Liverpool did it a few seasons ago during that strange, uh, that COVID year when they were sort of defending champions and managed to go on a run of like, I'm not sure, maybe like nine or 10 game. They won like nine or 10 in a row at the end of the season. Alisson scoring that header at West Brom, et cetera. Um, I just don't know if they have that in them this year with all of the injuries. Um, so yeah, you'd have to say Newcastle were the favourites given where they are at the moment. But having watched them yesterday, I do wonder if they have the goals in the team to stay there. Um, having said that, they don't really concede either. Uh, so if they aren't winning, they're drawing. Uh, and I think, but I think the biggest threat, despite you know what Kev might say and what other Spurs fans might think, is probably Spurs. Um, I know they have their issues, but you can't write them off given the players and the manager that they have. You know they managed to sneak their way into the top four last season, despite the fact that they just still weren't particularly very good. But I think when you've got a team that's managed by Antonio Conte with Harry Kane as the main man, surrounded by the players that he's surrounded by, I think there's still you know scope for Spurs to go on a bit of a run in the second half of the season and just about break into that top four. So, um, so yeah, well, I think Newcastle definitely look like a like significantly improved side and no one expected them to be quite as good as they are at this stage in their journey under their new ownership. Um, I think there's still a bit of a threat for them posed by Spurs um, as opposed to sort of the other traditional big six in Chelsea and in Chelsea and Liverpool. Um, I'll touch on Brighton quickly because I think they're an interesting one. I think that there's definitely scope for them not to finish in the top four necessarily, but I feel like they could, you know, sneak one of those either Europa or Europa Conference League places. I feel like they're a lot more consistent this season and they seem to be scoring a ton of goals under under Deservey, which is, you know, in previous seasons, it's always been that they play really nice football, but uh, don't quite do it in front of goal. But that seems to be a problem that they've rectified this season. Um, and, you know, they've just got such good players like Matoma, McAllister, Caicedo. Uh, in Ferguson, they seem to have found a really, really promising young striker, a goal scorer as well. Um, and even the departure of Trossard doesn't seem to have affected them too badly. Um, so I can honestly, it hurts me to say it as a Palace supporter, but I can see them sneaking into one of those European places. Um, and then as you look down the table, yeah, I think I'm... It's been quite difficult to choose this season because typically you kind of be able to bank on someone like Fulham going down, but obviously they've been really, really good under Marco Silva. Um, you would also probably have had Forrest in that bottom three maybe at the start of the season, but they seem to, like Steve Cooper really seems to have sorted them out and they seem to be gelling. And again, they've done some decent business in, in this window, I think. And you, you feel like them at the city grounds, their home form could just see them over the line. So they seem to be a team going in the right direction, whereas Bournemouth seem to be slipping all the time at the moment. Um, I think yesterday, not picking up that three points was quite important. Um, even when Palace went there and won 2-0 the other week, it seemed 
far too easy for us, given that we were in a bad run of form ourselves. Um, and then I think joining Bournemouth will probably be Southampton. I know they've made a couple of shrewd signings in this window already and have picked up a few results. And James Ward-Prowse seems to be on a bit of a one-man mission to keep them up. But I just don't think I see enough goals in them uh, to stay in the league, unfortunately. Uh, and as you look across, I don't know, if you look at other teams that are down there, you just... You, I just feel that they'll have a little bit more in their squads kind of pull away. You know, teams like Wolves, West Ham, we shouldn't really be anywhere near where they are, Leicester. Um, there's just quite a few big names down there at the moment. So, you know, I think Saints will probably be one, one of those to drop. And then, yeah, I'm in agreement. I think Everton, this could be, this could be the, the season that they go, which, you know, after, after the sort of emotional toll of that last sort of 10, 15 games of last season where they, all really came together and and managed to stay in the league will be like a really bitter blow, but just nothing seems to have changed there. Um, they don't seem to have improved. They don't seem to have learned any lessons. And if anything, the team looks worse. Um, and rooted to the bottom of the table at the moment, at the halfway stage, it's going to be really difficult for them to get out of it, I think. So, yeah, potentially this is the year when we when we see Everton go down as well. Yeah, let's elaborate on that a little bit. So I'm sure when people saw the the loss... Uh, to West Ham, people were assuming that we'd have had news of Frank Lampard being sacked by now as we record here on Sunday evening, but there is still no such news. But do you think he'll still be there come next week? And if not, is there anybody that is available in your minds that you think could dig them out of this hole? Because as you say, being already down there after 19 matches, not really showing much whilst down there, it, it looks pretty grim at the moment. Yeah, it's... It's difficult with Lampard. There, there were sort of some signs at the back end of last season that he, he was doing a bit better at Everton. Um, there's also a few signs very early on in the season that they picked up a couple of good results. They were sort of playing better football. Um, but since then, it's, it has really gone downhill. And it, it feels like he, he's going to have to go. Uh, probably the perfect scenario for Everton is, is maybe waiting to see if David Moyes becomes available. But... I don't think that's. I don't think they can afford to wait. Uh, and even if they did, there's no guarantees he'd be able to be do much better. Um, I don't really know who they would go for. You, but maybe they'd go back for Allardyce. Maybe I've heard some rumours they might feel that panicked about the situation. Um, or maybe they'll finally, finally go in for Dyche. It feels like everyone's been waiting for Dyche to take a job, um, and he hasn't taken one yet. So maybe they'll go for that. Um, I, d- I just don't think there's a lot of quality in that squad. Like they they spent a lot of money on a lot of players. Um, they now they've got a I think Onana looks quite a good player. Um, but yeah, they just don't really have a lot. They've got quite a, a solid back two, but they're sort of like quite immobile too. And I think we've seen sort of why Wolves didn't want to play Cody in a back in a back four for a long time because he's, he's sort of been pulled around a little bit. Um, Seamus Coleman's still playing quite regularly. I know they had Patterson in for a bit, but he's now back in the team and he's so many years past playing in the Premier League. Um, and they got they lost Richarlison and they've just not really been able to replace his goals. Um, Morpay's always been a... He's been a, a, a semi-decent Premier League striker, but he never sort of gets more than six or seven in the season. He's not even done that Everton yet. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, he just looks like he's completely shot of confidence. He's, the injuries have played a part. He's he's lost, um, he's sort of lost his partner in Richarlison. Um, and yeah, I think he just doesn't seem that happy. I think he probably 
felt like he would have had a move by now, um, and he hasn't, and it's sort of just tailed off a little bit. Uh, I think he just needs a fresh start. Um, yeah, it's, it's all just grown a bit stale. Um, and it's it's an example, isn't it? I feel like this Everton ownership had high ambitions. They got close to getting in Champions League under Martinez. They had a lot of ambition, spent a lot of money, and just did it in the incorrect way. Um, I know that Newcastle we get we get spoken about for the money we spent, but like the way that Newcastle have got about spending money to Everton is it, completely different, uh, and you can see that the differing results. So yeah, it, there's no guarantee that money brings you brings you success, and we've seen that with Everton. Um, I felt like they probably should have stuck with Benitez once they went there because as functional as the football is, I just don't see Rafa Benitez getting relegated over a course of the whole season. Even with the squad that Everton have, like we saw him get, we saw him manage quite well under Mike Ashley once we got back into the Premier League um, with a with a small budget. I felt like that they probably shouldn't have made that move. Like it, it seems mental, doesn't it, that that club went from Rafa Benitez, whatever you think about his style of football or or where he is in the game now, to Frank Lampard. Like it's completely different. Um, they should probably go for a Dyche. Maybe that maybe they'd go back in for Allardyce. I've seen tentative rumours. Um, <sighs> Duncan Ferguson too, like he may maybe he'll come in and sort of inject some some passion into the squad. But then again, we've seen him also. He had he had a three or four game run at one point, and it just he just looked so out of his depth. Once he was in it for more than a couple of games, he didn't look didn't look right for it. Um, yeah, I just I I think it's the board have, have grown disinterested as well. I don't think Bashiri really wants to own it. Um, when and the stuff that went on with Russia and Uzmanov sort of having to pull out of of Everton has probably hurt their funding a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just all it's all gone badly. The fans are completely turned now. Um, it turned to the fact to, to the extent that I just don't think players want to go there. Like I, I think Dan Jume is meant to be going there, but does he? One bad game and he might. He, it, it's not the atmosphere you want to go. Also, in he just flew to football. England to find a club. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I think we're going to see we're going to we're going to see some movement from Everton before the transfer window closes. I think we're going to see a big sale again. Um, I think we're going to see them bring in a bit of money. Um, I will go into that a little bit more later on who I think that is um, because it's, it's not really there's a there's a there's a segment later that's more suitable for. But I think that they're going to sell a player to Newcastle before the transfer window closes, and I think that maybe that could see them spend a bit of money and strengthen the squad. I think that's probably their only hope of staying up. If they get a manager in like Dyche, give him twenty, thirty million pounds to spend, maybe they'll turn it around. But it just it just it just feels like they need to go down to reset. Um, they need to go down. The owners need to leave. They need to find new ownership. They need to reset the championship completely. Get rid of a lot of those players. Um, create a new sort of younger core to the team. Get the supporters back on side. It feels like the club needs that. Um, yeah, I think that they've still got a chance of staying up. There is some talent in that squad, and under the right manager, things will get better. But I think, like we spoke about this last year, they did stay up, and then they it just happened again. It feels like Newcastle for sort of the last five or six years of, of the Mike Ashley reign before we went down the second time. It just feels like they need to go down. If it doesn't happen this season, it's going to happen next season. If it doesn't happen next season, it's going to happen the season after. It will happen. So I think maybe they, they, they just need to, maybe it'll be the best thing for them if they did this year. Yeah, I'm kind of on board with a lot of those points as well. I think, um, although I think a lot of Everton fans are slightly worried that if they 
if they were to go down, then they wouldn't be coming back for quite a while. Um, I know a few of them have pointed to other examples of fairly large clubs who have kind of disappeared for quite a long time before returning to the Premier League. And it's not it's not a given that that everyone's going to do what Burnley have done or what Norwich and Fulham tend to do most seasons and immediately return to the Premier League. So, um, so yeah, well, I definitely get the sentiment. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Everton fans would be slightly slightly more worried uh, if they were to go down just because of how, you know, the points that Jake was making there about how badly they've been mismanaged off the pitch. Um, and I think with on the Lampard thing, um, Jake's right, you know, at the end of last season, there was like a real unity that he kind of managed to create a proper sort of tribalism, I suppose, you know, you, there were those scenes where the fans would be outside the ground before every match, letting off flares, making it really intimidating for the opponents and their home form really was one of the things that that carried them over the line. Um, but you just got the sense that that was really exhausting for everyone involved as well. Uh, not least Lampard, who kind of, you know, walked into a pretty demanding job, um, you know, outside of those traditional big six, you know, Newcastle included. And uh, I guess, you know, Everton is probably one of the jobs where that comes with the highest expectation in the Premier League. Um, because a lot of those supporters do kind of want to see them challenging for for European football, and you know that's kind of what the owners have chased, uh, as Jake was saying, in that they've spent huge amounts of money on not only players but also you know managers getting in the likes of Ancelotti, um, hoping that that would be the thing that sort of finally pushed them into the elite, and all that's kind of done is just given them a massive wage bill, left them with players that are slightly disinterested, and kind of a, a strategy or an approach this, that just isn't very coherent. Um, you know, it's been a very kind of, I don't know if it's, I'm trying to think of the right word here, but I suppose sort of a focus, a sort of a tra- almost a, you could almost liken it to Manchester United in a sense on a smaller scale in that they've, the signings they've made have been individuals. Um, you know, it was that period after Ferguson where United would go out and buy the biggest name for the for a lot of money just because it was a name but they didn't really have an idea of how they'd slot into the team whereas I feel like Everton kind of ended up doing a similar thing um you know they got James Rodriguez in who was good for a little bit um but then ultimately just did what James Rodriguez does and, and left that having made much of an impact um so I just uh Deli Alley coming in at the end of last season again another example where they've I just I the transfer strategy has just been bizarre and you know in the background as well you have this new stadium project bubbling away which will be a drain on their finances as well so i feel like even if they were to get rid of lampard whoever comes in is walking into a really toxic environment um one that's pretty broken uh and isn't just going to be fixed in the last five months of the season um so in, ter- in terms of who they bring in, I don't know. I know that Wayne Rooney, just adding new names to the ones that Jake said already, I know Wayne Rooney was linked with it last time, so maybe they'll try to surprise him away from DC United. But I think Deich would be the best person they can appoint at the moment. And I know that in the past, um, he's, you know, he's not a very fashionable name, really, and perhaps not glamorous enough, or perhaps wasn't seen as glamorous enough for Everton in the past, um, but he kept Burnley up year after year on a very limited budget. Um, I know we didn't quite manage to last year, but that that Burnley squad had undergone criminal lack of investment, so I wouldn't really put the blame with him for that one. Um, and he also knows some of the players that are there already in Tarkowski, McNeil, uh, he worked with Michael Keane before as well. 
Um, so, you know, I feel at the very least he'd get them better organised um, and would give them a fighting chance of staying up. But as Jake was saying, I think as long as as long as those owners are there, and I think that's something that the fans, you know, the fans aren't don't seem to be blaming Lampard; they're blaming Mashiri. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they're fully aware as well that whatever happens. If, even if Lampard goes, things aren't really going to change as long as that ownership is still there. Yeah, and Mishiri, after like meddling for so many years, all of a sudden being like, it's not my decision to make, is just like, okay, dude. <laughs> if you say so, yeah, the, there's a lot of issues in there. And I, I did mention this last week, but the stadium isn't supposed to be ready until uh, two years from now. So who knows? Maybe they get relegated in their backup to, uh, to debut their new stadium. But I think, as you guys both mentioned, a lot of underlying issues there where if they go down and lose that Premier League money, things could get pretty messy pretty quickly, um, which makes hiring somebody to keep them up all the more important. Uh, all right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off with you talking about Newcastle. Sam already alluded to it a little bit earlier, but Newcastle just don't concede goals. Uh, Since the return from the World Cup, have yet to concede a goal. Uh, I was just curious from your perspective, uh, is this a tactics thing? Is this a talent thing? Why why is Newcastle's defense so resilient this year? Um, I I think what it basically is, we don't really allow many shots on our goal, which I think is probably the, the way to play football. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not expert, but if, if, if shots don't come in on your goal then you're not going to concede many goals uh, um but i think that the, the thing the thing about the way we play is we press high um we do a lot of work in the final third um and by doing that you sort of force opposition teams to go long uh, and when you go long and you've got uh sven botman he's very good in the air um dan burn who's six foot seven playing at, at center uh left back and um fabian shah who's not great in the air but because Teams are having to go long all the time. They're sort of not being able to target him in the air in the way teams used to. Um, sort of, they're not really high percentage balls in the air that he's now having to compete for. He's having to compete for ones that are, are massively in his favour. Um, but yeah, I think the main thing is we're pressing high, forcing teams to go long, and then we've just got defenders that can win balls in the air. We've also got midfielders in in, in Bruno and in, in Jolinson and Joe Willock that do a lot of running, Sean Long stuff too. Just cover so much ground that you can't really play through us that easily either um and yeah we, we just don't really concede many shots um even against arsenal i think uh in the arsenal game we saw that the way we we traditionally play 
in the first 10 minutes, Arsenal were sort of tearing us to pieces and sort of showed that we're, we're still a long way off that level yet to play our game away at a, a team in form like Arsenal. But the moment we shut up, sort of played a little bit deeper, pressed more in the middle areas, they didn't really create a massive chance after the first sort of 20 minutes. Um, so it shows that we can sort of go back and be more defensive. Um, and I think just clean sheets to breed confidence. Um, the other thing, thing as well is Nick Pope, he's so good out of his area. Like he, he does, a, he comes off his line well. He's not the best with his feet. So you might not, people, because of that, don't think he's really a sweeper keeper. But he really is. He, he takes up such a aggressive position off his line. He's often um, making defensive actions outside his penalty area. And when teams do get in on goal, or get a shot on goal, we see how good he is at shot stop. And I think he's got the 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 highest save percentage in the league. We saw that yesterday against Palace. Like he didn't have much to do at all. Palace had one great effort in on goal and he pulled out a great save. So, you know, we've got a keeper that you can trust at the back as well. And he's very good aerially. So we don't really concede too much from set pieces anymore. That was a big weakness when the Bravko was in goal. Um but that's sort of been fixed. So it's just I think it's it's the way we play. We're sort of forcing teams to go along a lot of the time. But it's also just the confidence that clean sheets bring, having a settled back line, having a midfield that can do so much work and um, sort of win the ball back there as well. I just think it, we're really well set up. Um, I guess the, the bigger question that you might ask me next is about what's happening at the other end of the pitch that Sam alluded to earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, it's a very convenient segue because uh, obviously you did just play Crystal Palace to a draw. I was curious to your perspective on that match and then obviously, yeah, why, why uh, the attack might not be firing so much. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one to really put um, my finger on because I think we've had three nil-nil draws in our last four Premier League games and the other one we scored a sort of a very late winner. So it does sort of suggest there's an issue. Um, but I think the, the first game, the Leeds match, I, th- I think we created like five or six big chances. We really should have won that game. We just didn't finish the chances that came our way. Um, I think the Arsenal game, we we were playing a better team and we got, you know, a nil-nil in that game was seen as a good result. Um, Fulham, we again had chances. I think we had three or four big chances and it, it we didn't score them until, the, until Isaac scored one late on. And then Pal- the Palace game was probably our worst performance in the in the final third today. I don't think we created too many clear cut chances. I think I think we had the chances to win the game. I think Jolinton had one in the first half. Probably should do better in the position he gets into. Um, a couple of headers that, that just didn't quite go our way. Um, but I think Palace just defended really well. I think there's more to do about Palace's performance than it was us misfiring. Um, I think we're, we're learning to go from a team that is used to having space on the counter-attack. Um, because we transition really well. Like Joe Willock is one of the quickest players in the league. We saw him sort of burn Carl Walker repetitively in the fixture at St. James Park. He's very quick. Um, he's not... We've got... Um, obviously, St. Maximus not played too much, but he's obviously great in transition. Um, Wilson likes to have space to run in behind. Um, and we've just not had that. Almiron as well. His form sort of came when he had that space to run into. Teams are now sitting off and respecting us, and we're just not great at playing through a low block. Uh, Sam probably know better than anybody we've played three times this season they've all finished nil-nil Newcastle probably had the, the, the dominated possession in every game didn't score a goal against Palace and that's just because we're just not great at playing through a deep block um, I think we just need to maybe be a little bit quicker on the ball um, need to have a little bit more confidence in the 1v1 situations you could you know it's, it, is, it is an issue um, but I still think we're creating chances in all of these games 
do win them. Um, it's just it has been just a little bit of a finishing issue for us recently. I think an issue we're having is that a lot of our big chances are falling to the two midfielders in Longstaff and Jolinson, and neither of them are great finishers. Um, we need to sort of try and get it so the chances are falling to our better finishers. Um, but then we've also got St. Maximin sat on the bench. We know the chaos he can cause when he came on yesterday. The, the right side where we sort of create a lot wasn't having a lot of success. And then when he came on, you know, Palace made a substitution um, to, to sort of cover for him a lot. Palace spent a lot more time on him, which created space on the other half. And we did get in behind um, on the right a couple of times after he came on. There are some drawbacks to playing him. I don't think how fully trust is off the gate, off the ball work. But I think if you're playing a team in a low block, you can afford to play him. Um, and we'll probably see him get a bit more football. We've also got a £60 million centre-forward sat on the bench. He's not played a lot of football. And as good as Callum Wilson is, Alexander Isak is much more better suited to playing teams that play in a low block. We saw one run from yes- him yesterday where he picked up the ball and sort of took it past three or four players. Mm. He 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 can do that. Wilson can't pick up the ball and beat people on the dribble. Isaac can. He can come deeper. He can create space in the middle for the midfielders to move into. I think that... Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see Isaac come into the team and we might see that solve the issue. We might see sort of different patterns emerge. Um, so it isn't, it's a worry, but I think it's not that we're not creating a lot of chance. We're still creating chances, just that final ball that's letting us down. So I'm not as concerned about it as other people may be. Um, but yeah, we've got, we've got a player to bring in off the bench who's very, very good and who people would expect to be playing for a Champions League football team right now. And he scored three Premier League goals in probably under 200 minutes. So, yeah, he's he's done OK when he plays, but he just needs to get into the team, get fully fit. And I think we're going to see the attack improve when he does. Gotcha. And then, Sam, from, from your side of the fence, uh, what did you make of that match from from the Palace side and, and about what Jake was just saying? Yeah, it was... Um, it was... Yeah, as Jake said, it was a pretty tight game, um, and I'd probably agree that if, like, if a team was going to win it, it was going to be well. Having said that, the longer the game went on and it stayed nil nil, you did feel that we could potentially nick something, and almost did with that Mateta chance that Jake alluded to that Pope made that save. I and mean, it's kind of, I think that Pope signing is actually one of the best that Newcastle have made um, since since the takeover. To be honest, he's just such a presence in that goal, and it's like even once you do kind of breach that fairly solid back four, um, you've just got this guy there who is incredibly good at saving <laughs> saving shots. And that was kind of what proved yesterday. But um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, was, I was pretty impressed with Newcastle, to be honest. In that first half, it didn't feel like we really got in their half at all, to be honest. Um, they just looked really, really comfortable on the ball. And having seen us play Newcastle sides in the last few years where under Steve Bruce, where they've managed to escape with a point and it's been incredibly frustrating. Um, it felt a little bit more like we were the ones yesterday who were kind of happy to happy to finish the game with a draw. Um, but we've kind of got, it was, it, was just, it was the end of a fairly positive week for us because we just really had to stop the rot. Um, there's been a bit of negativity creeping in, uh, kind of some questions being asked of Vieira for the first time. Um, because we went on a really bad run of results. Obviously, had that Boxing Day result against Fulham where we lost 3-0. Um, just before the break, we lost to Forest. We also had a bad result against Everton um, just before the World Cup break as well. Um, so just all kind of things adding up and 
losing to teams that maybe you wouldn't necessarily expect Palace to be losing to, um, or the games where you should be targeting points at the very least. Um, so, yeah, there had been a little bit of negativity creeping in. It just felt like we kind of had to, with such a tough run of fixtures coming up, um, you know, this was this was the these two games fell in the middle of a run of fixtures against the likes of Chelsea. We've got uh, United coming up again after the FA Cup. We've got Brighton, we've got Brentford, then we've got something like City and Arsenal. Um, just all very, very difficult games to come. So it just kind of felt like a week where we had to do, we had to get a point or two points by any means necessary. Um, and I think it was just quite, it was just encouraging to kind of see the team defend really well, show a bit of fight, um, which maybe they hadn't been doing in, in previous games recently. I think a real, Jake alluded to it already in terms of how we defended. Um, it was real positive to see Chris Richards in the last couple of games. Um, quite a lot of people had been a little bit sceptical given that, you know, we obviously signed him for a decent amount of money in the summer and he hasn't featured um, too much. His The game against United was his first start. Um, he has been unlucky with injury, but there was a point against... Chelsea the other week when Anderson went off injured and Tomkins came on to replace him um, and Richards was also on the bench and I don't know if anyone saw Tomkins' performance against Fulham on Boxing Day but it was perhaps the worst performance in any profession that I've seen uh, in a very long time <laughs> let alone just in football um, so to see him kind of get the nod to come off the bench ahead of Richards against Chelsea set a few alarm bells going but um, it was quite I think the United game and yesterday kind of proved that Vieira has kind of been holding him back and not wanting to rush him back in after his injury because he looks like a really, really good player. Um, there were a couple of sort of highlight real challenges against United where he chased Anthony sort of the length of the pitch and put in a really good sliding challenge, um, did the same against Rashford in the second half. And then uh, yesterday just seemed to be getting his head to everything. Him and Gay dealt really well with um, Callum Wilson in uh, in the time that Wilson was on the pitch and Wilson typically tends to score against us. So it was quite nice to see him be kept quiet for a change. Um, but yeah, defensively, it was really encouraging. But another problem for us at the moment is just creating chances um, from open play. Uh, despite the sort of wealth of attacking talent we have, you know, Elise, Eze, Zaha, Edwards, um, Fiera doesn't seem to be getting a tune out of them at the moment. Um a lot of the goals that we've been scoring have been coming from set pieces. Um, I don't think we've scored a goal from open play since we beat West Ham away, which was, that was before the World Cup break sometime in November, I think it was, um, maybe end of October. So that's a big area of concern. But um, yeah, yesterday was just, it was just important that this week we got something out of it and, and sort of stopped the run of negative results that have been happening recently. You just alluded to the attack, and that was what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, only Bournemouth have scored fewer goals since the restart post-World Cup, and you already listed all the players and why people would expect better from them. But do you, do you think that this is just like a poor run of form and eventually the goals will come, or do you think like a change needs to be made either in terms of who's regularly starting in the 11 or, or some kind of tactical shift? I think um, I think a tactical shift is probably the right way to put it. I think against United, a lot of a lot of the time this season we've been playing Jake Decore in midfield with Jeffrey Schlapp, who just isn't a natural sense midfielder. So a lot of the time it's been looking like Decore has been kind of playing that role just on his own and it's been too much for one man to do. It's too much for him to kind of 
play that role where he's making interceptions and then at the same time being the guy who's playing the forward passes and driving us forward. Um, so Will Hughes came in against United and just the team instantly looks a lot more balanced. We've sort of switched to a 4-2-3-1. Um, we were progressing the ball a lot better. There was a lot more structure to our attacks and we actually, you know, created a few chances. Edward hit the bar. Um, De Gea made a good save in the second half. And I don't know, we just got into a lot more threatening positions more often. Um, whereas against Newcastle yesterday, we kind of reverted to that to that previous system. And I just think it's quite easy to play against because we don't kind of have... We don't have the fullbacks to worry teams. You know, we've got Joel Ward still starting at right back. Um, Tyrick Mitchell isn't the most attack-minded fullback. So teams are pretty aware of the fact that our threat is in those wide areas. So as as long as they kind of focus their attention on them um, and just push them wide as much as possible, um, they don't really have to worry about the fullbacks coming in and joining in, which is obviously such an important part of modern football is that fullbacks kind of contribute attacking-wise. Um so I think teams are pretty happy for us to let the wingers have it, let us have it in those wide areas, knowing that that's not really where we're going to hurt them. Um, so I think it just stems from that and just not really being able to create too many chances from those wide areas, basically, and not being able to progress the ball through the middle of the pitch enough. Um, and obviously, if you compare it to last season, we don't have Conor Gallagher anymore. And he was good for, what, seven, eight, nine goals. Um, and you take that out of the team and that's that's quite a... That's quite a big goal to contribution for a team like us, and we haven't really replaced him. So um, I think that kind of plays a part as well. Gotcha. All right, uh, we'll head from there into player watch. Where I was just curious uh, if you think any players will be joining your club in between now and the end of the window, which is getting increasingly close. Um, yeah, I reckon Newcastle are going to sign at least one player, I'd say. Um we saw Chris Wood go to Nottingham Forest, which has opened up a, a space in the squad. Uh, Eddie Howe is quite insistent in his press conference that he wants to replace him. Um, I, I don't think we'll replace him with another another Chris Wood type figure. I think they're going to probably be fine with Wilson and Isaac being the strikers in the squad until the summer. Um, but I think we're going to sign a sort of a wide attacking player, somebody to add a little bit more depth to, to the squad and a bit of competition. And I think we're going to sign Anthony Gordon before the transfer deadline. Um, there's a lot of rumours going around about it. Um, Frank Lampard sort of bris- bristled at the question when he was asked about yesterday in the post-match. Maybe he was a little bit annoyed about the result and his impending sacking, but um, it did seem to suggest there was something in it. Um, he didn't, Gordon didn't play for Everton. I think Newcastle have been interested in for quite a few months now. Um, and yeah, it feels like the type of deal we'd do. Uh, Eddie Howe keeps saying that we're only going to go and sign a player that that is one of our summer targets. We're not going to go and just buy anybody. Uh, he sort of fits a bill for me. He's young. He can play either side. He's He works very hard off the ball. Um, and he's obviously got something, like, I feel like he's become a bit of a joke figure, but he's obviously got something to him. The fact that Tottenham, Chelsea, Newcastle all want to sign him. He must be good. Like, I keep telling myself, I, I don't really want to see Newcastle sign him. I'd rather we got somebody else. Um, but, yeah, it feels like he's the one that Newcastle want. And I'd be surprised if we, did maybe surprise a little bit too 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 strong for where we are in in, in the public state of the deal, but I it, I feel like he's the one Newcastle going to sign. Um, so yeah, I, I think he might come in. There's there's also talk about a, a couple of South American sort of young players that we're in talks with that we might see one of them come in, but I think that would be more just to to add depth or maybe even to go back out on loan rather than. 
threaten the first team uh, because we do have Dan Ashworth sort of running the transfer dealings now and, and we know what he did at Brighton. He was a big part of, of the way they recruited, so he'd have taken a lot of out of there. And I, I'm sure Newcastle are probably going to recruit in a in a similar way, although maybe spend a little bit more money than Brighton did in those South American markets, which, you know, bigger risk, but also potentially bigger reward too. Um and I think we want. I think Newcastle want to sign a, a central midfielder. I think we're short there. I'm just not really sure if there's a player out there that we'll go for. There's rumours about Tielemans, but I'm not sure if he really wants to leave Leicester. I think he'd rather wait to run his contract down. Maybe Madison is a, is a long-term target as well, but I can't see us signing him in January. Um, I think potentially we might sign somebody out of Chelsea if. I think there's maybe a deal to be done there. Conor Gallagher and Loftus-Cheek have been linked to us a lot. Um, yeah, I, I could see maybe one of those coming in if Chelsea decide to let one of them go. But um, I think Gordon's the main one right now. That if you if you ask me who Newcastle are going to sign before the, the window closes, I'd say Anthony Gordon. Interesting. I'm not sure you want to really follow Tottenham or Chelsea's current recruiting strategies, but uh, I do think he is pretty talented. Uh, and Sam, for, for Palace, do you think we'll see anything out of you? Um, I don't think we're going to be playing football manager quite in the same way that Newcastle are able to these days. Um, I mean, like we we need to we need to strengthen the midfield as I've mentioned. Um, we could probably do with another fullback, um, and even maybe even a forward, given that Zaha looks to have popped a hamstring yesterday when he went off, and Pierre was pretty pessimistic about it in his in his press conference after. Um, but we have been linked with no one. Um, well, I know it's difficult to do business in January, but there haven't even been those really loose rumours to cling to in the very depths of Twitter from some sort of foreign outlet that gets translated by the CPFC HQ transfer account. Um, so yeah, I'm not that optimistic. Uh, like Gallagher was another one that people keep asking about, which just feels like is one we really need to let go. Um Especially, you know, he's starting for Chelsea up at Anfield. I don't think they're going to be particularly willing to let him leave the club in the next uh, eight, nine days if, well, he's sort of regularly starting games for them. Um, and irrespective, I just don't think he's, even if he does end up leaving Chelsea in the summer or whenever, I feel like there are other clubs who are going to be interested in him that can, that can offer Chelsea more money than Palace can. Um, but I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that optimistic about someone coming in we really need to because the squad is very very light but I think it just kind of speaks to some of the issues that we've got off the pitch at the moment um there was a story that came out last week I'm not sure if you saw it but um the Guardian was reporting that basically John Texter who's um Uh, essentially Palace's biggest shareholder um now he's fallen out with Parrish obviously he's still the chairman um and which obviously doesn't particularly bode well in terms of when you're trying to get transfer deals done. Um, and there's there's also chat of, um, so Texter, for people who don't know, is also the owner of, he's just purchased Lyon as well in France, and he also owns Botafogo in Brazil, as well as a Belgian club. And they all kind of sit within, it's part of one of those multi-club ownership models, and they all sit within this company called Eagle Football Holdings. And there was another story in the Financial Times this week that he's potentially going to be floating uh, that company on the US stock market, which would be the very first time that's ever been done. Um, and doesn't necessarily fill you with confidence, to be honest. Um, but when you see things like that going on in the back, well, when you get stories like that coming out in the background, um, it's maybe not that much of a surprise that uh, 
that we aren't being linked to too many transfers at the moment. And there was actually um, there was a banner held up in the in the Homestead end during the United game uh, by the by the uh, the you know the group behind the goal that tend to make a fair bit of noise at Palace, um, essentially calling out Texter. So. Um, yeah, that could be a story that we see a little bit more of, rather than necessarily any uh, any incoming player arrivals over the next eight eight nine days. Gotcha. So you're kind of like where I am right now, where every morning I wake up, check Twitter to see if Tottenham signed someone, if Paratici's in jail, and if Conte has quit. Um, yeah, exactly. There's there's more concern <laughs> over whether we're going to go into administration rather than whether we're going to go into the transfer market. <laughs> Got it. Hopefully, you don't. Um, exactly. We'll wrap up with match previews here. Uh, I guess we'll start off with you, Jake. Uh, what, what do you make of your next match against Southampton? Yeah, it's a big one. Um, pro- probably up the biggest game Newcastle had in a long time. Um, to get to, you know, we, we're talking about the top four earlier. That's obviously on the minds. But I think if you asked a Newcastle fan, uh, or at least the majority, would rather see them win the cup. Uh, and they've got a very good chance of doing so. Like that, we are the the highest placed Premier League team left in the competition. Uh, you can't, can't argue with that. We everybody thinks Man United is a favourite, but I think if it was Newcastle versus Man United in the final, it'd be a great final and one that we'd probably not be the favourites for. But we'd be, we'd be, we'd we've had a puncher's chance in that final. I think. Um, I don't think. I think even if you think Manchester United are better than Newcastle, I think it's probably probably fair to think that. There's not a lot between them. Um, but yeah, first we have to get through Southampton. Uh, they've also had a few good results recently. Lost at the weekend. Knocked Man City out of this competition, which was great because we'd have had to play the Man City over two legs and that wouldn't have been great. So yeah, thankful for Southampton for doing that. Now I don't want them to do the same to Newcastle. Don't Can't really see it over two legs. Um, here's a fun fact for you. The last time Nick Pope conceded a goal was at St. Mary's Stadium in November. Wow. So there we go. Yep. So, yeah, maybe he's going to be scared of conceding another one there. But we did score four on that day. So, um, should be fine. I think I think it's going to be a t- it's probably going to be a tough game. Uh, you know, Southampton, it's a semi-final for them too. It's going to be huge. Um, they've got the FA Cup in between the two legs, which does complicate things for them. We don't. We've got a whole week off, which we looked a little bit leggy at Palace yesterday. Having a whole week between those two games probably plays in our favour. Having the second game at St. James Park is also huge. Um if I had to predict, I'd probably say 1-0 Newcastle. I think we'll nick it. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's going to be loads of goals. Um, but I can't see Southampton scoring against us. Um, just think we're, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be too good for that, I think. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to go through to the cup final. But, you know, this this podcast, I'm predicting us to finish top four. And now I'm predicting us to make a cup final. Uh, it's it's going to go wrong at some point. I'm so used to coming on here and sort of talking about us getting relegated. It's um huge sea change, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go that we'll beat Southampton. Um, even if we don't win the first leg, I think over two legs we'll go through the tie and get to Wembley, which would be nice. Mm. Well, certainly good luck there. And Sam, I certainly wish you luck uh, when you're going to face Manchester United, as Tottenham do try to hang in at least on those potential Champions League spots. Uh, what do you think we'll see in this one? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't be too optimistic, Kev. Unfortunately, uh, I yeah, I I just think uh, it'd, be, it'd be good for Palace. To, we're not we're we're not in the FA Cup anymore, so it'd be good to have that week off. I think because uh, like Newcastle, I think our players looked pretty knackered yesterday. They'd played Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, so three games in six days. Looked like it was taking its toll on a few of them. Um, so it'd be good to have the, the break for the FA Cup, but it's just. 
United are very good at home this season and they're also just improving all the time. Uh, he expects Casemiro to be back in for that one as well. Um, obviously adds another layer for them. Uh, and we'll also be likely missing Zaha, who is the sort of type of player you need in, in games like that, where you're not going to have a lot of the ball and your best chances are going to be on the break. So, yeah, it's it's difficult for it's difficult to see us getting anything out of this one um after we put in such a big effort this week but yeah you never know our record there in recent seasons isn't terrible um but at the same time i think this is a very different manchester united to the one that we've played in recent seasons so um so yeah not too optimistic but you never know fingers crossed Gotcha. Well, we'll wrap up there. If you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, get me on Twitter at JakeJackal2Ns where I post about anything that I'm involved with. Cheers, Jake. Cheers, Kev. Thanks for having me on again. Um, I'm Sam Karp, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Sam double underscore Karp. Awesome, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, or you can search EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast services to find us, although it seems like you already have. Uh, a big thanks to these two for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 